everyone, and welcome to Healthcare Perspectives 360, a series dedicated to exploring contemporary healthcare issues from multiple perspectives. I am your host, Jerry Amori, and I'm talking with emergency medicine physician, Dr. Megan Ranney, hospital administrator, Pierre Moniz, and customer experience expert, Jake Poor. Welcome, everyone. Now, even before COVID burnout, clinician wellness and resiliency were buzzwords in healthcare. Let's talk about that today. Dr. Rani, I know you like yoga. How's your flexibility from all the yoga classes you're taking? Uh, well, you know, I think yoga is a lovely self-care activity, but it is not the solution for the burnout and moral injury that is plaguing the healthcare profession today. Um, I think it's really important for us as we have this discussion to separate out self-care, which matters deeply from systemic change, which is what we know we need to do in order to address healthcare providers' stress, frustration, burnout, and departures from the healthcare profession. All right. Well, thank you for that. That's good. Pierre, what is the impact of the current level of physician stress on healthcare operations in general? Yeah, great question. You know, honestly, you know, the physicians definitely hold a, a, a large pulse for the organization. Everybody feels it, right? So not just the physicians, but it goes down to, you know, our security officers, our, our, our nurses, our techs. Um, and there's there's typically less physicians than there are everybody else. So, um, you know, it's, it's, it's a huge impact. And from an administration standpoint, um, it's a challenge that, you know, it's a high priority for us to ensure that, hey, we're, we're able to recruit more uh, physicians, but we're also able to invest in their wellness because, you know, that's typically hasn't been at the forefront of the bottom line in our expense sheets from an administration standpoint. I do just want to say I, I I care. Yes, I care about my fellow physician stress, but I care much more about the stress across the healthcare system. We are part of a team and nothing stresses me out more than having my team members stressed out or missing. So the the I, I will expand that question, Jerry, far beyond physicians to every healthcare worker uh, from housekeeping staff and the folks that help do the laundry um, through uh, my radiology tech, social workers, physical therapists, and, and beyond. How do you feel that stress as you're working in this team? Oh, gosh, there, there are a thousand ways. I mean, there's the simple stuff like folks who I've worked with for two decades, I know when they walk through the door that they're stressed out. You see it on their faces, the way that they walk, their smile, you know, whether or not they're smiling. Um, you see it in people's attitudes towards each other and towards patients. When people are stressed, they're crispier. Um, they're less likely to be resilient um, when something uh, additional happens, and they're less likely to be resilient in the face of conflict. Um, and you feel it because, unfortunately, it does affect patient errors. When we're already at the top of our cognitive and emotional load, excuse me, not patient error, but patient safety, when we're already at the top of our cognitive and emotional load, we are more likely to make those little cognitive um, slips uh, that increase the chance of medication uh, treatment or diagnostic errors. So it, it has a knock-on effect. Lastly, I feel stressed because people stop showing up. Um, some reports say that as many as 20% of healthcare workers have left bedside care over the course of the pandemic. Um, and I will tell you, as someone who's on the front line, I see that only accelerating uh, in the months to come as we continue to be short-staffed. More folks are getting stressed and, and thinking about leaving. Um, so that's the last and worst effect. 
Oh, and so all these relationships, because as you have said before in the conversations, it's a team sport and all these relationships are kind of falling apart, which makes it more stressful for you. Let That's me bounce exactly back right. to, yeah, let me bounce back to Pierre before we get more perspective. Pierre, you were, you were talking about this too. Does, does this trickle up to you? Oh, most definitely. Most definitely. And it, it's not just, you know, I appreciate Megan, you know, uh, honing in on it's the entire continuum, you know, and I think we just got to understand that, you know, regardless of whether you're a, a EVS frontline worker physician, I mean, you're a person and you feel that impact. Um, I think what, we, it was, what has been the typical verbiage is we never been working top of license. But the way things are, guess what? All hands on deck. You know, we have physicians cleaning rooms. We have EVS techs walking patients down the hall. So we need to understand that, you know, when we're looking at our staffing situation, um, it's not just a numbers game. We got to look at the people and start changing our processes as we're trying to kind of uh, close the gap when it comes to burnout. Jake, why don't you jump in and give us your perspective on this? I'd be happy to. Um, you know, I think most people know that when a baby's in the womb, the baby's heartbeat kind of mirrors mom's heartbeat. And when the baby is born, mom could be carrying the baby. And it's interesting, if the mom is stressed, the baby gets stressed and vice versa. I think the same domino effect or yin and yang happens with patient caregivers and the patients. They're feeling the stress when the staff are stressed. But we have to differentiate between stress, burnout, and trauma. We're not talking about stress anymore the inability to cope with mental and emotional pressure and its psychological strain. We're not even talking about burnout, which is that next level, right? A depletion of energy, exhaustion, mental distance from one's job, feelings of negative and cynicism. We're talking about trauma. Full on, we're in the middle of COVID-19, but we're in another pandemic and they're dealing with trauma. This is that feeling of helplessness, that sense of self and inability to feel a full range of emotion and experiences. And the other thing I think that exacerbates this is this toxic positivity we get from well-intended leaders, you know, um, saying, oh, it'll be fine, instead of how can I help? Uh, you should smile more uh, versus everything is gonna be okay. I I'm here with you, right? Don't worry about it versus what can I do to make this less stressful on you? And of course, the data is in and patients are reading it, right? The data is in. When you are feeling trauma, you're four times more likely to become an alcoholic. You're four more times likely to inject drugs, 15 times more likely to commit suicide. All of this is having a domino effect on the patient experience because the employee experience mirrors the patient experience. That's Excellent. That's an excellent perspective and an excellent addition to that whole uh, soup, if you will, of the issue. But we also have other things that are playing into this, which is the supply chain shortages. And um, Megan and Pierre, to what extent, either whichever of you wants to go first here, to what extent do you think that that supply chain shortages are really affecting your colleagues? Megan, you kind of raised your hand there. What's what do yeah, you think? So I mean, I think the supply chain shortages kind of started it all. If I go back to March of 2020 and the lack of personal protective equipment, the fact that we were showing up to take care of folks with COVID-19, but no one, it felt like no one could be bothered to provide us with proper protective equipment to keep ourselves and our families safe. That started us down 
this cycle of, of stress, burnout, and to Jake, I would say, you know, even more than trauma and post-traumatic stress, moral injury. It has only worsened. Folks say, oh, the PPE crisis has been resolved. And I could talk about kind of that for, for an hour in and of itself. Yes, we have largely resolved the PPE crisis for those of us in acute care hospitals, but those working in nursing homes or home health care workers, um, working in homeless shelters or senior uh, care centers may still have reduced access. And there's now a host of other shortages that have developed as well. Shortages in medications, some of which predated the pandemic but have worsened during it. Shortages in durable and um, disposable medical uh, goods. Um, I have days where we don't have adequate suture supplies or where we can't get the type of um, cover for our ultrasound probes that we depend on or where we've run out of the ability to find a certain cleaning solution. That has a knock-on effect on us as well, both because we have to use things that we're not used to, which stresses us out even more and puts it at risk of making um, mistakes, and because it sometimes means that we can't provide the care that we want to provide because we simply don't have the tools at hand. What do you think, Pierre, about the supply chain shortages? You know, I appreciate it. I kind of resonate with everything Megan said. You know, it just adds stress on everyone. You know, it's no longer predictable. Um, and I, I definitely try to empathize, um, but on the administration end, you know, we're trying to get creative, um, but we need to do a better job of getting input from the front line. You know, it's easy to say, okay, we don't have, you know, this set of sutures or this brand, let's just go to the next best thing. But then, you know, it arrives and the frontline team saying, wait a minute, why in the world did you get this one? If you would have asked us, we would have told you, you know, so we need to do a better job, even from an administration standpoint of, you know, let's get input before making these tough decisions. We mean well, um, but that's why kind of rounding, having that visibility and colleague feedback, especially when it comes to clinical supply um, is very important. So we've got stress from the environmental situations with both pandemic and being overworked and understaffed. And we have stress from supply chain, not having what you need once you even get there. So Jake, what, what's the reverberation from your perspective? Well, it's hard to be patient first when you, you're not taking care of your caregivers, right? So I think this has got to be the year of the caregiver. I mean, as much as I'd like to put the patient in the bullseye of everything we do and be patient centered and patient first, we can't do that if we don't, they don't have the tools to do their job. They don't have the appreciation for showing up. So a couple of things that I picked up on my journey, because I get to play in a lot of different hospitals. Number one, there's a hospital in, uh, or a healthcare practice in, in San Diego. He's an ex uh, US Army uh, physician, and he created something called Battle Buddy. Uh, we are in battle, right? This is war, COVID-19 and this great resignation, it's, it's a new battle. So when you start as a new physician or as a new clinician or as a new frontline employee, you're assigned a battle buddy, just like you are when you deploy for uh, Afghanistan or U.S. Army overseas. This is a person usually of a similar age, similar background, somebody who's your buddy, who's got your back, somebody you can ask dumb questions to, somebody who you can call when you're really stressed out and you need some help. I think we need this in healthcare, not just PPE. I mean, that's just Maslow's hierarchy of need, PPE, right? The other thing is, um, I picked this up in an emergency room at a children's hospital in, in New Orleans, is how charged is your battery? A physician, um, uh, Jay Kaplan, came up with a great idea. When they start team meetings, 
they simply ask, like they do at church, you know, put your hand in front of your chest if, if, or put your hand up, everybody head, all heads bowed, right? Who's dealing with this? But instead they said, how charged is your emotional battery today? So you just came into work, you're gonna work 12 straight hours or 24, whatever it is, how charged are you? And they, they, they look at the numbers that people put up. If it's a one or a two, your battery's depleted. Something's going on. If you're a five, you know, you're fully charged. You're ready to go. You just came off a two-week vacation in, you know, the Bahamas. Then good. We're going to lean on you to help recharge other people's batteries. Yeah. So, Jake, I love that point. And I actually want to go off of that to point out another cause of stress on healthcare providers, which is that we are living in the same world that everybody else is. Right. And so whether we're talking about rising housing costs, rising costs of gas, the challenges that our kids are facing, the mental health crisis that is overcoming, that is overtaking our country, we are subject to those exact same stressors. And I do want to take just a second and talk about that there is this difference between burnout and mental illness. And I think that folks often overlook or kind of conflate the two. Burnout is due to that work environment and is addressed best with systemic causes. There is some self-care involved as well, but mental illness, diagnosable depression, anxiety, post-traumatic stress disorder, and other types of more serious mental illness as well, is th those are all on the rise among healthcare providers, just like among the rest of society right now. And that deserves a different type of identification and treatment than the treatment that we would put in place to manage burnout and moral injury. And so as folks are listening, I do want them to kind of be aware um, of both uh, warning signs, um, the importance of screening, and the importance of healthcare facilities making true uh, treatment for mental health problems available to their, to their healthcare workers in a non-stigmatizing, low-cost, easily accessible way, in addition to addressing these root causes of stress and burnout that we've been discussing. Do any of you have any ideas for a solution to this, how this can all kind of be brought to a grinding halt? I don't know if I have the solution, but I think, you know, the best step forward is, especially from an administrative standpoint, we've got to be visible and listen. You know, we don't have to have the words and say, I have all the answers, look at me, but just be there, listen, you know, figure out, you know, kind of what's the, the atmosphere, not just day shift, night shift, weekend. Um, and, and in my experience, that goes a long way. You know, you know, uh, comments of thanks, just thanks for being here. Thanks for being present. Thanks for listening. Um, and typically in this seat, you want to really go out there with the answer and be the hero. But but now, you know, heroes are people who are taking the time just to be there. I love that, Pierre. And I just want to put a pin on that idea of servant leadership. I've worked at, at some different hospitals and the ones where the leaders really are there in the trenches know what we're experiencing. That makes all the difference in the world. Um, I, I do want to say that there is some systemic change that is needed and great administrators I have seen do that as well um, to support staff um, in creative ways to help address some of the workplace and supply chain shortages that we're experiencing. And the third thing is that that access to treatment. I'm actually going to highlight Columbia and Penn have developed lovely programs to provide that 
to provide therapeutic environments um, to staff who are suffering from actual mental health problems in addition to burnout. Um, at Columbia, they've created peer support groups. At Penn, they have a um, purely digital program um, to provide um, kind of a stepped care in a really kind of anonymous and non-stigmatizing way. And so I want to give a shout out to those two um, healthcare organizations. And I know there are many others as well across the country uh, that are doing a really good job to help link healthcare providers to treatment, recognizing the huge shortage of mental health care providers right now, which is another whole topic. Jerry, can I jump in from the nurse's perspective? My sister's a nurse and my mom's a nurse. Uh, and and I think to the point Megan and, and Pierre are bringing up, first of all, we have to know the difference between sympathy and empathy. We, we have to clearly identify the behaviors and the words that go because a lot of people think they're similar and they're not. Secondly, we've got to take the taboo against getting mental and, and uh, getting mental help. I heard a statistic yesterday that I haven't found the source of, but I heard a terrible statistic that only 3% of healthcare workers are actually taking advantage of mental health um, ability through their EAP, their employee assistance program. That's terrible because I asked my friends and my sister and my mom who nurses, why don't you seek mental health? It's because it's taboo. It is the scarlet letter, not a badge of honor. And if you're heard to, if you're heard to do that, then the, you get labeled as needy or weak. And we need to break that taboo. Well, and, and Jake, not just labeled, but actually in some places, your medical license can be at risk. Pierre, you want to make a comment about that quickly? Yeah, and I love what Jake was saying. You know, it has not only been taboo, but we've got to look at how do we introduce it and talk about it. You know, you I mean the EAP process more than just a crummy pamphlet that's been wrinkled in the drawer that has, you know, the most archaic graphic on it. But EAP is let's talk. You know, uh, I've known some individuals who've gone this route and they were able to get so much relief and support. Um, but it, that whole flyer thing, sorry, you know, that's the former HR in me. Um, but let's make it real. Let's make it uh, relevant and let's make it personal. Okay, so we need to bring today to a close. Let's end with our usual summation, which is, I'd like to ask each of you, what's the one thing you would like our listeners to take away from each of your perspectives today? Let's start with Dr. Rani. Terrific. Thank you, Jerry. So the one thing that I'd like folks to take away is that there are a lot of different arenas in which we can be working to address stress, burnout, moral injury, and mental health. Uh, ranging from systemic change to advocacy within one's own organization to support each other to creating and making available those uh, treatment resources, the therapeutic resources that are needed for so many of us right now. But one does not absolve us from needing the other. Thank you. That's a great point to keep in mind. Uh, Pierre, what would you like everyone to keep in mind? Yeah, I mean, I think the final takeaway would be, you know, letting people know it's okay to talk about your journey um, because you don't know who's listening and who it would help really empower on their own journey. So to eliminate the tabooness or to eliminate that stigma, it's, hey, I've gone through it. You know, I've had, you know, these issues and I had help or I'm still struggling through it. But guess what? It's okay um, because we're all in this together. Thank you. And finally, Jake, bring us home. What, do you, what would you like us, one thing you'd like us to remember? I think um, 
whether it's from the patient's perspective or the caregiver's perspective, that seeking help is not a weakness, it is a strength. And as administrators in healthcare and consultants and trainers, we need to normalize that. This has been a really great conversation and a great exchange. Thank you to our panelists. And I hope you, our listening audience, found this discussion valuable. Thank you again and see you next time.